wisdom raises her voice to all mankind. Listen, for she has trustworthy things to say. Choose her instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. She has insight. She has power. She loves those who love her, and those who seek her find her. She was formed long ages ago. The Lord brought her forth at the very beginning, when the world came to be. She was there when he set the heavens in place, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. So listen to her instruction and be wise. For those who find wisdom find life. Well, hello, hello, and welcome to everybody uh, in all our senses. Such a pleasure to be continuing this series, looking at wisdom, uh, Proverbs, wisdom for everyday uh, living, and, and today looking at the subject of words of life. What does it mean to speak words of life, and why is that so important? Uh, some of you may remember that the last time I was here, uh, I said I'd just recently gotten married to my beautiful wife, Isabel. Uh, we've now been married for a year and four months. Um, which is fantastic. Some people, some people look at me and think that I am not old enough to be married. Uh, we had, this is not a joke, we had a, a man come to our house the other day to try and sell us something. Do you ever have those people come to your house to try and sell you something? And he came to our house, knocked on the door, asked me if my parents were at home. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. I blessed him and told him to be on his way. And... Uh, Anyway, I have been married for a year and four months. This year, already been to several weddings. Uh, it's summer season, feels like wedding season. And uh, one of the things that's been striking me as I go to weddings and reflect on my own is the power of words in a wedding ceremony. Don't know if you've ever stopped to think about it, but at a wedding ceremony, what you have is two people who are committing their lives to one another. Their individual lives are changing. And together, they are creating a shared future which, without the wedding, wouldn't actually exist. And it is almost entirely based on words. Of course, there's the giving and receiving of rings, there's the signing of the register. But really, what is going on, two people are speaking words of life over one another, releasing promises over one another, another, declaring things to each other, and words, therefore, are powerful enough to form the basis of a binding relationship, something beautiful that can endure for an entire lifetime. Doesn't that just serve to illustrate how powerful words really must be? And so because words are so incredibly powerful, Proverbs, this great book of practical wisdom, has a lot to say on how we use our words. I don't know if you know, but in the book of Proverbs, there are at least 34 references to the tongue, our speech, our mouth, our words, what we say, and also what we don't say. Clearly, learning to speak words of life is a very crucial part of what it is to grow in wisdom and a very crucial part of what it is to live a life that is wise. Our key verse for today, Proverbs 18.21, says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it 
will eat its fruit. Uh, What does this proverb actually mean? It means two things. Firstly, our words are more powerful than we think they are. They can cause life or they can cause death. Secondly, we will eat their fruit. We are going to find ourselves living in the results of the words that we are planting. Our words today are creating the futures that we're living in tomorrow. Our words today are creating the futures that we are living in tomorrow. Isn't that a staggering thought today, to just consider that incredible truth? And this idea of the importance of words and wisdom is not only found uh, in the book of Proverbs. Uh, In the New Testament, James has a lot to say about how we use our tongue too. He says the tongue is a tiny little uh, instrument and yet it's got incredible power. He says the tongue is, is like a bit in a horse's mouth or a a rudder on a very large, powerful ship. What what is he saying? The tongue is small, but it's so powerful that actually it can determine the direction of everything else. It can chart a whole new course. How incredible today that as we turn to consider some very practical instruction from the book of Proverbs, you and I have the opportunity to begin choosing some new directions with our words, with the things that we speak at home, at work, in marriages, in finances, whatever it is, we have the opportunity to begin charting new courses, speaking out new directions, because as James says, the tongue has incredible power. One of the things that that struck me when I first came to Kingsgate about six years ago was that I was stepping into a culture where words of life were valued and where words of life were used. It's a culture where there's an importance of words, and that's a beautiful thing. And so for for, for many of you listening today, this message, which is going to be very practical, is really going to be a timely reminder of something that perhaps you've been living in for many, many years, and perhaps is already at the bedrock of your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's fantastic. And I want to encourage you that as you listen to this practical instruction today, you'd open up your heart to the Holy Spirit and allow him to just nudge you in areas where he may have more for you. Just lead you further in your journey of speaking words of life, because I believe that we never arrive, but there's always more for us. But also, for some of us listening today, it might well be the case that you are already aware of patterns of speaking in your life which are not words of life. In fact, perhaps they're quite the opposite. And I want to encourage you today to to receive from Jesus the grace that enables us to speak in a different way, because I believe that the Holy Spirit has more that he wants to give us today as we turn to this practical instruction. So today I want to look at two questions really. Why should we be wise with our words? And then secondly, how should we be wise with our words? It's important, isn't it, before we do something to find out why we're doing it and then to look at how we should do it the best. So firstly, why do words matter? Two reasons on this. Reason number one, the words we speak impact for good or for bad. The words we speak impact for good or for bad. Uh, You've probably heard the phrase, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Anyone heard that phrase? Yeah? It's completely not true, isn't it? It's absolutely not true. Last year, in the UK alone, 12,000 counselling appointments were arranged for or arranged by children who were the victims of something called cyberbullying. Basically, the practice whereby people often anonymously post words about another person online, on social media or other forums. Clearly, words can have incredible impact for bad, but equally, they can have real impact for good. Proverbs 10.11 says, the mouth of the righteous is a well of life. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The mouth of the righteous is a well of life. 
I don't know if you've ever noticed, but every single person carries with them an ecosystem. Have you ever stopped to think about that? Every person kind of carries with them the climate of their life. And you can probably think of people right now, you step into their climate and it's a bit sunnier. But there's also people, you step into their climate and it's actually a bit drizzly. Right? There are people who, when I step into their world, I step into their ecosystem, uh, I leave feeling built up on the inside, I leave feeling stronger, I leave feeling more empowered, encouraged, and often that's because of the words that they are able to speak out over me. People with those kind of ecosystems, those kind of climates, understand that words are really powerful, they can impact for good and for bad, and so they steward them to impact them for good. But equally, we can think of people who, when we step into their climate, actually we might encounter gossip or negativity or kind of despair, and perhaps we leave feeling insecure or inadequate or discouraged, and actually we almost feel worse off for that encounter. We all can impact each other with the words that we release over one another. So today, the question to ask ourselves is this. When someone steps into the ecosystem of my life, do I, with my words, release over them hope and possibility or doubt and negativity? What is the impact of stepping into my sphere? I don't, I don't know about you, but I want to be known as somebody. When people come into contact with me, they leave more empowered than they were before we had our conversation. I want to be the kind of person who builds other people up. When, when I look back on my journey of faith, I'm thankful for people who understood that words can impact for good and for bad and chose words that release life over me. I'm so thankful for the words of leaders and friends and people who spoke life over me, knew that their words would impact for good. Those words have been so invaluable to me that some of them I've got written down so that I can go back and revisit them. Isn't it amazing that God has given us the level of authority with our words that we can speak things that are going to impact somebody for good, perhaps for many, many years to come? Let's today resolve to be a people like that who release good words over one another. Words matter because they impact others around us. And secondly, words matter because they frame our future. The words we speak frame our future. We've all heard, or at least heard of, famous speeches in history, haven't we? Uh, speeches by Churchill during the war, or uh, Napoleon, or Roosevelt, or whoever it is. Well, historians reckon that some speeches have actually framed the future to a degree. What, what does that mean? It means that they think that what happened after the speech was different because the speech happened. What they said had an impact on what uh, happened afterwards. And, and we know that words are important, speeches matter, because public figures and politicians spend a lot of money trying to find the best speechwriters because they know that if they use their words well, it will have a great impact. And if they use their words poorly, it will have a very bad impact. And so they're strategic in finding people who can frame their words well because they know words can frame the future. And in just the same way as kind of on a, on a political level, we see that happening with leaders. So the speeches you and I make every day at home, at work, to others, to our family, to ourselves, those speeches, to a degree, are framing our future. They're going to be having an impact on what happens. Imagine that I have a, a garden, and into this garden I'm, I'm sowing seeds, right? Now, I'm not a gardener, but I do know enough about gardening to know that what you sow will grow. What you put in the soil is going to come up. 
I'm going to be living in the fruit of whatever it is that I am throwing into the soil. If I'm sowing apple seeds, I'm going to get apples. If I'm sowing in weeds, I'm going to get weeds. The things that I plant today in the future are going to grow up, and I'm going to be living in the good or in the bad of them. Words are like seeds that we're planting into our lives, and they are going to come to harvest. In the New Living Translation, the second half of Proverbs uh, 18.21 is translated, those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. The verse before uh, in the NIV says, from the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. From the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. What is the picture here? It's the kind of gardening analogy that we used just a moment ago. What we're planting is going to grow. We're going to be living in the good of that, and that will either satisfy us or be bad for us. If words matter and words can be used to frame our future, then it's worth looking at how Jesus Christ used words when he was on the when he was on the earth. One of my favorite examples of how Jesus used words was in his conversation with his friend and disciple, Peter. And he says to Peter, who at this point in the story is a very unlikely candidate for leadership, he says to Peter, you're a rock, and on you, the church is going to be built. You are a rock, and on you, the church is going to be built. What does Jesus do? He uses his words over his friend to speak life, to speak hope, to speak destiny, to speak possibility. Jesus understands that words have the possibility to frame future, not only for ourselves, but also for our friends, also for our family members, also for our colleagues, for the people around and about us. We can frame the future with our words. And so we want to be a people, don't we, who speak life over one another and who release good things over each other. Every day, we're sowing seeds with the words that we use. And we are going to live in an orchard of what we plant. Some uh, plants are going to choke and destroy things like negativity, things like despair. Some plants are going to bring life and open up new horizons, things like hope, things like possibility, convictions that the best is yet to come. Some things are bad for us, some things are good for us, and we're sowing them with our words. Now, let me just give a, a very short disclaimer. This does not mean, okay, the book of Proverbs does not mean that we can go around naming and claiming Ferraris, all right? You can't leave today and go to your local car dealership and name and claim to your heart's content. Just not going to work. Proverbs 12 verse 14 in the New Living Translation says, wise words bring many benefits, as we've just discussed, but hard work brings rewards. Wise words are really powerful. They're even more powerful when they're backed up by a life and a work ethic and an attitude and a heart position that agrees with what we're speaking from our mouth. Wise words are really powerful, but hard work brings rewards. The two go together. Words are important, and their power is enormous. So if words really matter, then we're going to move on now to looking at how we can be wise with our words. Because if they are so significant, how can we use words so that we plant the best seed and get the best harvest? Well, I've got a very simple suggestion for us today. And my suggestion is simply this. Make the Bible your vocab book. Make the Bible your vocab book. 
I don't know if you remember French at school, uh, but when I did French, we, we had to buy a vocab book, anybody else? Just a little book of French words, and uh, those words were basically uh, the basis of what I said and what I wrote in French. Now, my own French wasn't particularly good. It's not one of my primary giftings. Uh, so I relied on the vocab book probably rather more heavily than some other people. Uh, the vocab book, I trusted completely. My French was pretty bad, but the person who'd written the book was probably quite good at French. I thought, I'm going to trust their perspective above my own perspective. Uh, my own French, sometimes what I wrote didn't make sense or was grammatically incorrect. It wasn't true. And yet what was in the book was always true. I was always confident that that was true, and so I had a preference towards that. In just the same way, how are you and I to create the kind of lives where we regularly sow words of life and so see a beautiful harvest? Well, we should use our words by lining up what we say with the vocab book. Get back to the book, speak what's in line with the book, and then allow us to feel that confidence knowing that what we're speaking out is true and is going to bring about an incredible harvest. Make the Bible your vocab book. Fortunately, the Bible has got plenty of practical instruction on what we say and how to say it, and no, uh, nowhere more so than in the book of Proverbs. Uh, and, and this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to unpack five key themes that I think Proverbs emphasizes pretty strongly, five themes, if you like, that you and I are going to want to begin to work into the vocabulary of our life in order to speak words of life. And, and I'm sure there are more themes in the book of Proverbs. In fact, there definitely are. But, but these five seem to me to be particularly significant as we take our next step in the journey of speaking words of life. And so as we go through these practical instructions, uh, I want to encourage you, uh, even on your notes, just to be taking uh, an imaginary inventory. If you were standing outside, looking in, weighing up and analyzing the words that you speak, how are you doing? How am I doing in these particular five themes. You may even want to kind of give yourself a mark out of 10. You may want to uh, give yourself a number if that helps you kind of track along with where you think you're at. But the reason why we want to track ourselves is, is not so we can be down on ourselves, but so we can see the areas where God is inviting us into a new season of growth. And let's believe that we'll increase in our ability to speak words of life. So the first spectrum that we want to uh, mark ourselves, spectrum A, is lying to trustworthy. Lying to trustworthy. Proverbs 12.22 says, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. The Lord detests, quite a strong word, lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Um, I recently went for a haircut. And I don't know what your kind of barbershop etiquette is. Uh, some people like to go in and have a very, very long conversation with the barber. Some people I know go in and pretend the barber is not there. Uh, I'm probably somewhere, somewhere in the middle. So I, I went in, I was chatting to the barber. I said, how are you? And he said, he's doing well. I said, how's business? He said, business was going well. And then, and this is not really an exaggeration, for the majority of the rest of the haircut, he explained to me that his profits were doing quite so well because he was discovering very intricate ways to cheat on his tax returns. And he explained to me in, in great depth, I could write a book if I was so inclined. He gave me the manual on how to cheat on his tax returns, things that he was claiming for that he shouldn't have been, things that he was saying to the tax man that just weren't true. Lying is part of the culture, isn't it? It's part of everyday, ordinary conversation. We bump up against it all the time. It's easy to become desensitized to it and forget that God does not like this at all. I don't know if you know, but last year, the word of the year was named post-truth. 
Did you know that? The word of the year was named post-truth. Experts tell us that we live in a post-truth world. The words true and false no longer apply. Well, Proverbs is pretty clear. God lives in a post-truth world, and God has some pretty strong things to say about what is true and what is not true. He loves us when we are trustworthy. I don't know if you've ever had the, the, the painful experience of somebody in your life lying to you. Uh, maybe a, a close family friend, maybe a, a family member even. It can be a very painful thing, can't it? Uh, why is lying so painful? Because when we lie, we release into our relationship a corrosive substance that over time undermines trust. And trust, isn't it, is the most powerful and important thing that you and I have together. God hates lying because lying erodes us from the inside out. You might well be here today and you might think, well, I'm not lying anywhere in my life. I'm honest to my family. I'm honest to my friends. That's fantastic. But this spectrum isn't just talking about not lying. It's talking about becoming a person who's trustworthy. What does trustworthy mean? It means that what we say can be taken at first value. What about exaggerating? That's probably a bigger challenge for many of us, isn't it? Saying things and then only afterwards stopping to weigh up whether what I've said really corresponds with reality. We want to become a people who are trustworthy in what we say and so what we say can be taken at face value. God delights in us telling the truth. Next spectrum for our inventory is this, gossip to integrity. Gossip to integrity. Now, Proverbs 11 verse 13 says, A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Gossip is essentially talking about other people, isn't it? That's what it is. It's essentially talking about one another. And uh, if you've ever read the newspaper or turned on the news or gone on social media, you will know that gossip is the essence of a lot of conversation. It's actually at the bedrock of many kind of social interactions. We bump up against it all the time. And and the Bible says that gossip is going to be for us like a choice morsel of food. That tiny little bit of medium rare steak, perfectly seasoned. It's just going to be that delicious little morsel of food. We just want another bit. But unlike the best food, gossip is going to end really badly. The Bible says gossip is going to be delicious at the beginning, but it's going to end really badly. It's really, really bad for us. For the sake of this message, I want to slightly up the ante on this theme of gossip. And I want us to consider this question. And it may well help you to consider your inventory in the light of this question. And the question is this. Would I say this comment... Would I laugh at this joke if the person in question was here now? Would I say this comment, would I laugh at this joke if the person in question was here now? Bottom line, if it would need explaining in the future, it probably isn't worth doing now. If it would need explaining then, I probably don't want to be doing it now. The Bible's pretty clear. Flee from gossip and run towards integrity. I know some of you uh, work and live maybe even in cultures where gossip is the norm. Uh, I worked once at a department store where uh, secondary to selling things, gossip was one of the main occupations of the members of staff. Uh, Spent a lot of time talking about other people. But actually, that's tiring over time. Why? Because when we gossip, something supernatural is going on and we're being robbed of life and energy. The the function of gossip is actually to isolate, to, to remove from each other. And so it has a very negative impact on our relationships. Wisdom removes itself from gossip, even at work, even at the risk of being excluded, 
even at the risk of not being in the conversation. Why does wisdom remove itself from gossip? Because gossip is corrosive and it is really bad for us. If there's one place where gossip is the most ill-fitting, it's in the church, isn't it? Thankfully, at Kingsgate, we have an incredible culture where uh, we don't hear much gossip. And that's really, really healthy. But we want that to continue. And we want that to grow. And and we want that to develop. And we want to safeguard that. I don't know about you, but I I want in our church a culture where, uh, where we talk to each other and not about each other. Where if I'm offended, I deal with it on the inside I don't vent about it to everybody who's listening. Where I'm careful with what I say. If somebody shares something with me in confidence, I treat it appropriately. Those things really matter. We want to safeguard a culture of integrity and flee from gossip. Third spectrum on the inventory is this. Insult to encouragement. Insult to encouragement. Proverbs 11 verse 12 says, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. I love how blunt the book of Proverbs is. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. Uh, I I don't know if you've ever driven in London, uh, but if you've ever driven in London, you will know that there are many problems with the London roads. Uh, But the biggest problem, and perhaps the cause of all the rest, is buses, right? Apologies to you who are bus drivers. I'm sure it's not you. I'm sure it's only your friends. But buses slow you down. They cut you up. They do all kinds of things on the road, and the worst thing is that you have a legal duty to give way to them. You have a legal duty to give way to them. I I don't know what it is for you. It might be bus drivers, it might be slow cars in front of you, it might be trainee, checkout staff. I I don't know what it is that, that can make you riled and frustrated and impatient, but Proverbs is pretty clear. Even in the heat of the moment, be very careful what you say. We don't want to be a people who insult, we want to be a people who encourage. I remember a sermon I heard years ago that's always stayed with me, and in it the speaker was, was talking about how he had a friend who murdered somebody, uh, went to prison, in prison became a Christian, uh, was released from jail and became a, a minister, an ordained minister. And he was saying how each and every day, you and I, ordinary people, have the power to cut one another down. And he said, well, my friend literally did that and went to jail. But then he ended his message with this challenge. He said, how many of us every day in our words, in our thoughts, in our jokes, in our banter, cut each other down? Proverbs is pretty clear. Words of life don't cut down. Words of life don't insult. Words of life actually encourage. Wisdom is kind and compassionate. Wisdom is patient. Wisdom does not insult. But not only does wisdom not insult, wisdom chooses to encourage. Who do you know today who could benefit from a word of your encouragement? Who do you know in your world who, if you spoke that word of encouragement, it would make their day, make their week, could even be an impact for the rest of their life? The words that we speak to one another in insult can do bad. The words we speak to one another for encouragement can reap a harvest of incredible good. So let's be a people who run away from insult and run towards encouragement. Next spectrum. I wonder how the inventory is going for you. Perhaps you're already beginning to feel the Holy Spirit lead you on in particular areas. Next spectrum that we're going to be considering is this, rash to measured. Rash to measured. Often in Proverbs, being considered wise is linked directly to what we say and crucially to knowing when to talk and when not to talk. When to talk and when not to talk. Proverbs 13 verse 3 says, those who guard their lips preserve their lives 
but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Wise speech often thinks before it speaks. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard this kind of expression, but in a sense, most of us can be divided into two groups of people. We have, on the one hand, internal processes, and we have, on the other hand, external processes. Now, internal processes, and I'm one of them, tend to think first and then talk. Now, you might think that's the more holy of the two, but it isn't, because sometimes we can think too much and talk too little. That has its downside. The other is an external processor. Now, my wife would be perhaps more on the external processor side of the equation. Now, external processors tend to think as they talk. And you might well think, well, that's, that's what the proverb is, is saying not to do. Well, not at all. The proverb here is saying, whether you're an internal processor or an external processor, that's just part of your personality. That's a God-given good thing. He's not talking about that at all. It's saying, when you speak, make sure your word fits the season. Make it timely. I don't know if you've ever heard a good word at the bad time. Good word at a bad time can be a bad word. Good word at the right time is a powerful thing. Being measured in our speech is knowing when to talk, what words will fit the situation. On, on a practical level, it's about asking ourselves in conversation, is this comment actually going to bring a constructive outcome? <laughs> is it really going to help anybody? It's about asking yourself before you send an email to your broadband provider, is this email genuinely going to bring a constructive outcome? It's about asking yourself before you tweet or write a status or post something on Instagram, is this actually going to be good for anybody? Or am I just letting rip? Am I just venting? We want to be a people who measure our words, who weigh them and who deploy them carefully and crucially deploy them appropriately. I want to challenge you today. How, how do you speak when you're at home? Because often, for many of us, home is where, the, where we're the most comfortable. We, we don't feel like anybody's analyzing our speech. We feel perhaps more free just to talk. How do we talk at home? We want to be people who measure our words wherever we are. Final spectrum is this, harsh to gentle. Harsh to gentle. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. When I was a child, my mum was very keen that we learnt verses of scripture, and as kind of fighting siblings, this verse was one that she deployed more often, I think, than some of the others. Um, what I love about the Proverbs is that they are practical, and they are earthy, and they are rooted. And you don't have to spend very long imagining a situation where Proverbs 15 verse 1 would be a helpful thing, right? It doesn't take long to think of a situation at home uh, that would actually really benefit from a gentle answer. Or a situation on the news, on the global front, where even disputes between countries could benefit from gentle answers. It's the difference, isn't it, between pouring water and petrol on an argument. One is going to put it out, one is going to make it flare up. Difference between harsh and gentle. I don't know if you've ever heard of a, a man called Jean Vanier. Jean Vanier uh, is the founder of a community called the Lash Community uh, that works with very disadvantaged and marginalized people, often people with very severe disabilities. Uh, they work in France and, and in other countries as well. And Jean Vanier's movement, if you like, is an incredibly powerful and yet incredibly gentle thing. A theologian called Stanley Hauervas described this movement, described Jean Vanier in terms of being the politics of gentleness. 
Isn't that an incredible phrase? The politics of gentleness. What is he saying? Gentleness is really substantial. Gentleness is not just meek and mild. Gentleness is strength under control. And gentleness, crucially, is really, really powerful. Gentleness can bring about incredible power. How can we speak life? We can speak with gentleness. We can speak in such a way that we harness the strength of our emotion. We harness the strength of our feeling. We harness the heat of the moment. We bring that under control and we use the strength and the power of our speech to serve the other, not to overpower the other. Wise speech, speaking life, is full of gentleness. Those are are five spectrums that you might well want to revisit at a later date and and just consider how am I doing in this area? Is there something which the Holy Spirit is bringing to light, an area for me to perhaps grow in and grow into? But you know, all of those spectrums can be summed up, I think, in a single verse in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 15, 26 says, The Lord detests evil plans, but he delights in pure words. The Lord detests evil plans, but this is the crucial bit. He delights in pure words. Other translations of Proverbs 15, 26 talk about how the words of the pure are pleasant. Connotation being they are a pleasing offering to God. And so here in Proverbs 15, 26, what we see is that my words of life are not only good for me. My words of life are not only good for you. My words of life are an offering to God. And so our words are not just about doing good to other people or doing bad to other people. They're not just about framing our futures. Our words become something which we can consecrate and give up to God as an offering. Words are pure. Now, we know, don't we, that things like innuendo, things like certain types of joking are not going to feature in this kind of speaking. But also, this definition of pure actually goes beyond simply avoiding some obviously negative things. One of my favorite definitions of the word pure is this perfectly in tune and with a clear tone. Perfectly in tune and with a clear tone. Offering words to God means we're going to offer up words that are perfectly in tune with his nature and with a clear tone. I don't know if you've ever learned to play an instrument or had a neighbor who's learned to play an instrument, Uh, but if you fall into either of those categories, then you'll know the value of tune and you'll know how beautiful it can be when music is in tune and at the right pitch. You'll know how painful it can be if it jars and is off key and something's not quite going right. It doesn't resonate, does it? It just doesn't fly. Something clangs on the inside of us. And in just the same way, maybe you can relate to me. Sometimes when I talk to somebody, maybe in the heat of the moment, maybe in a a joking conversation, whatever it might be, sometimes I say something and I immediately feel a clanging on the inside. I just immediately feel that didn't resonate. Something jarred on the inside of me. Why is that happening? Because our words are designed to be in tune with the nature of God. And when they are, they fly. And when they don't, we know. Our words are designed to be things that we offer up to God, and we do that by making sure they're in tune with the pitch that he has set us. They're in tune with his nature. God is a God of hope, isn't he? God's a God of hope. So words of life, if they're going to be in tune with who God is, are never going to be despairing, because that would just be, that would be out of tune. God is a God of peace, isn't he? So words of life that are in tune with who God is are not going to be anxious because that's going to jar on the inside of us. We know that that doesn't quite resonate with who God is or indeed who God has made us to be. God is a God of love. So words of life are not going to be hateful. They're not going to be divisive. They're not going to be condemnatory because that doesn't line up with who God is. It's not in tune with the pitch he set us. It's not a word of life. 
As we grow in this journey of speaking words of life, let's ask the Holy Spirit to make us more sensitive to the tune that he is setting us so that we can tune our words accordingly. Make them a beautiful, sweet offering to God. Take the words that we use, deploy them carefully, tune them to the right pitch and give them to God as a beautiful offering. As we conclude, we were made to speak words of life, words that bless us and bless other people, words that are going to be the seeds, the basis of an incredible and bountiful future harvest. I don't know about you, but this is an area that I'm very, very keen to grow in. And it might be as as you completed the imaginary inventory, you realized there were uh, maybe one or maybe even more areas you feel the Holy Spirit particularly inviting you to to go on a journey of growth in that area. It it might also be that that this was just a reminder for you, but, but, but you actually feel like God wants to upgrade your ability to speak life in your situations and your circumstances. Maybe you've already seen some incredible fruit, but let's believe as we go deeper on the journey, God is going to increase the fruit and we're going to see even better returns for what we speak. Let's be a people who come together, covenant together, to speak words of life over one another, words of life over our church, words of life over our family, words of life over the areas that we find ourselves in on a daily basis. And as we do that, tune our words to the pitch that God sets us and offer him a sweet offering of worship. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning for the incredible power that you've given us in our words. And I pray, Lord, for myself and for everybody listening, that you would increase our ability to know the pitch that you have set us and to tune our words accordingly. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.